0: Welcome to the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute podcast, episode four. And today we are totally talking supplier approvals. Welcome to the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute podcast, where we are building profitable food businesses, one product, one process, one thought at a time. Now here's your host, Dr. Michelle Fannin-Steele. Hi there, and welcome to today's episode on supplier approval. I'm so happy you've decided to join us again. We're in for another really awesome episode. It's a tech talk week here at the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute because we are doing, you know, one of the pillars of the the business, which is bringing you the best technical information on food safety that we can, okay? And so today we're going to be talking about supplier approvals, supplier preventive controls, uh, what they mean, and, and how you do them, okay? And so... When you know what you are buying in, when you bring products into your facility, you are totally saving time and money. I mean, the amount of waste that you decrease when you buy the right thing and you know the right thing is hitting your dock is almost incalculable. So we're going to be talking a ton about that today. And when we think about it, if you, if you are creating like super good relationships with your suppliers, imagine how much better that makes you feel because you know your suppliers are working for you just as hard as you are working for your customers. And that really sort of means something. It's going to help you sleep better at night. It is totally going to help you build the business that you were meant to build. And when we talk about the... Smallholder Food Business Development Institute, like creating our businesses, one product, one process, and one thought at a time, a lot of it really wraps up into this supplier approval because it brings up all the things that make us nervous about our business and all the things that we have to execute correctly in order for our business to succeed, Okay. And so, well, what do we mean by when we say supplier approval? So there are a couple of things that you have to know. Okay. The first thing is to understand really what kind of business that you're in. And when we have different kinds of food businesses, you know, so there are tons of different kinds of businesses that listen to this podcast. We have meat and poultry businesses. We have fisheries businesses. We have people who are under preventive controls. I have a lot of cannabis listeners. Sometimes supply chain controls mean different things to different people, okay? And that can bring up some of the confusion that we have in this industry. And that's one of the things that we really, really want to bring up, okay? So there are some there are some ways when you do meat and poultry. All right, we're just gonna start there. Okay, we'll start with meat and poultry and what we need what we mean by supplier approval in meat and poultry. Okay. In meat and poultry, we have two ways that that we think of in supplier approval. And the first thing is is what does the USDA require? Okay. Well, the, the you know the long and the short of it is is that the USDA the Food Safety Inspection Service requires something called a letter of guarantee. You'll also see it spelled out as, as L O G that creates um, their their supplier approval. You know you get a letter from somebody saying we promise cross our heart hope to die that we produce this food safely or under a USDA grant of inspection, and you need that for. Everything that touches your food, so i.e. all of your food yourself, needs to come in with a letter of guarantee. Um, if you are a slaughter plant, that you don't get letters of guarantee, but the likelihood that you need affidavits on something or another is super-duper high. So that's um, if you have questions about that, feel free to ping me. Um, you can find me on Facebook, or you can send an email to info at dirigofoodsafety.com. And, um, so you'll have affidavits for live animals, but like for everything else, you need a letter of guarantee. And that, that means for your food. Okay. And it means for everything that touches the food contact surface. So that means all your cleaning supplies need a letter of guarantee. Now I will tell you, uh, letters of guarantee are pretty much worth the paper that they're printed on (laughs) and some of them aren't even printed anymore because we keep them electronically and when so when you're putting together your meat and poultry supplier approval yes you must have your letter of guarantee but I want you to pay attention to what we need because I'm going to talk about supply chain preventive controls when I talk uh, about what people at the the Um, under the preventive controls rule need, okay? There are lots of really, really good things in there that you might want to adopt. The next thing is, is that if you are under a audit scheme, so you get third-party audits like SQF or BRC, or you've gotten audited by me, that sort of thing, most audits, if not all, requires supplier approval, That's probably more robust than just a letter of guarantee, all right? When we do supplier approval, we teach people how to make the phone calls, how to write the emails, that sort of thing, saying, hey, what do you do about food safety, all right? And so I'm going to address that a little later at the end of the at the end of the podcast, talking about how we go about doing that. But I want to cover everybody first. Okay, so we did meat and poultry. The thing to remember is letters of guarantee. That is the, you know, like base floor bare minimum for what you're doing. So then next, let's talk about fisheries. So of course, fisheries are regulated under the FDA. And uh, their Bible is the Fisheries Hazard Guide. Okay. There are some real complex things about fisheries and how we do supplier approval in fisheries. But the long and the short of it is, is that your suppliers basically must all be approved in one way or another. And... Almost every fisheries plant I work in has a receiving critical control point, especially if you're a secondary processor. Maybe, maybe not with a primary processor and a non, what we call scromboid fish, like a non-histamine producing fish. You don't have to have a um, a receiving CCP, but most small fisheries plants do. Okay, And when you write that receiving CCP, um, you generally end up writing you will only receive from approved suppliers. If you are a secondary processor, you have to make sure that the primary processor, so whoever filleted the fish, if you're doing something else to it, controlled for physical, chemical, or microbial hazards, okay? You have to be able to document that control because if you're the secondary processor and that food is adulterated, when it leaves, it's a super big problem. meat and poultry also has the same problem because they're both controlled under HACCP plans, even though they mean a little bit different things between them. you got to be able to show that your supplies and all the things that you don't actually control, you know, you didn't cook it or send it through a metal detector or whatever, that physical, chemical, and microbial hazards haven't um, entered the food. And so just as a review, for those of you who don't know, Physical hazards are by and large things that can break your teeth. They're seven millimeters or bigger and hard and um, tooth breaking or will get caught up in your throat. Chemical hazards are substances that are either intrinsic to the food, like allergens, allergens are a chemical hazard, or that are added to the food that cause the food to be unfit for human consumption. You know, you don't want your sanitation chemicals in your food, right? And then finally, microbial hazards are, of course, what most people think of when we think of foodborne illness, and that is the things that make you sick. It's like salmonella and shigatoxin E. coli. Those are, by and large, the ones that we hear about in the news. Okay, so that's the short short version of the, the hazards review, and there's so much that we do to control for hazards, and one of the ways to control for hazards in meat and poultry and in fisheries is to make sure everybody you buy from has a HACCP plan and you have proof that they have a HACCP plan. Even better if you have proof that that HACCP plan has been audited, but you don't have to, okay? If they have a, you know, USDA grant of inspection and you have the USDA number, you can always look that up (laughs) and make sure that they're in good standing. Um, And then under fisheries, it's a little more complicated, but if you, uh, look for you know letters from the FDA, uh, that sort of thing, or recalls, and get a copy of the HACCP. Uh, that's probably good enough really for doing um, for doing fisheries uh, supplier approval. I am all about calling people and talking to them and getting their their. Um, their documentation. And it's also super good to talk to people because you're going to have a much different relationship with somebody who says, oh my god, all this HACCP stuff, it's all completely bullshit. I hate having to do it. Here it is. I don't care. I look at it once a year. Versus Somebody who says, oh, yeah, no, here's our HACCP plan. You know, it's been updated. Um, we have it on a, on, a, on a yearly update system. We update one HACCP a year. Here are the ones that we've recently updated. We'd love to talk to you about it. And by the way, here's our audit, or we're starting getting audited next year. Like, those are two different companies. One is looking out for your best interest, and one is not, (laughs) okay, I urge you to do business with the ones who are looking out for your best interest, because HACCP and third-party audits are real, and it's affecting the supply chain, and that's the point. Our, our food safety is getting more and more complicated as our supply chains get more and more complicated. Now, what's super nice over here in the local food industry is generally a fairly short supply chains. And that's awesome because there's a lot less risk. You know, if you're getting fish off a boat, okay, and it's been headed and gutted on the boat, well, you don't need a HACCP plan because it hasn't been handled. The likelihood of risk is super duper low. And you just have to make sure that they're meeting their, their pretty well stated and easy to follow Cooling limits for the fish, right? It's really does not have to be as complicated as, as some people make it. Okay. So then that brings us to what is actually become significantly more complicated, and that's supplier approvals under preventive controls. So when FSMA got signed in, so of course everybody, may, well, you may or may not know FSMA, the Food Safety Modernization Act, was signed in uh, January. 4th, 2011, uh, to bring an update, like the first update in like 75 years, to the Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act, right? Well, as part of that, they rewrote a whole bunch of the federal code, okay, and one of the things they rewrote was um, what we call 21 CFR, Code of Federal Register, uh, Title 110 became Title 117. And those were good manufacturing practices. Those went into Part B, but then a Part C was created, and that was preventive controls. There are a whole bunch of other things that were also created as part of that. This is one of seven new programs. Other podcasts will be dealing with other programs. <laughs> so they rewrote this, right, and then they dropped preventive controls in our lab. It's basically been rolled out since 26, 2015, 2016. Uh, and this year, as of September 17th, so just about a month ago, all qualifying small businesses needed to have a preventive controls plan, okay? Uh, you're a qualifying small business if you sell more than a million dollars a year or you sell more than 275 miles away from your location um, or out of state, kind of depending on how big you are, but the 275. Miles is pretty, uh, is pretty accurate. Most places, if you want to get into distribution, you need to have a preventive controls plan anyway, whether the government requires you or not. Your customer is asking for one. Okay, so that's a whole different, so that's you being approved as your customer supplier, right? Well, guess what? <laughs> you, you have to approve suppliers, and if you are making a raw food, this can become very, very tricky. Because the truth of the matter is, is that raw foods don't, by and large, have ways of controlling for microbial hazards. Sometimes they have ways of controlling for chemical hazards and then sometimes they have ways for controlling for physical hazards. But the truth is, is that raw foods are raw and that carries microbial risk. Some foods it carries more microbial risk then others, you know, were not generally in the habit of eating raw chicken because of salmonella, but um, the control of, of, of the raw chicken supply, the control of a whole bunch of supplies, they changed, uh, well, not for raw chicken, but they changed um, a whole lot of supplies and how we approach the supply chain under the preventive controls rule because they have created what we call a supply chain preventive control. So imagine, if you will, okay, you are making um, a granola, all right? This is super common. You're making a granola, okay? And you know that you are assembling that granola from all commonly sourced ingredients, okay? And let's leave aside it being organic versus not organic. Let's do just kind of a conventional granola. All right, and so your granola has um, butter and oats and cinnamon and almonds, and you toast the granola, and you uh, portion it, and you put it in a bag, and it has a smiling picture of your very famous, very favorite old aunt who taught you how to make it. Okay, and you're and you're basically selling her recipe. But what you don't know is if how you toast your granola actually kills the things that we worry about in granola. I'm here to tell you, in those ingredients, we by and large worry about salmonella. And further, granola is what we call a low moisture food, and salmonella survives a lot longer in low moisture, we've discovered, than in higher moisture products like chicken. And so you're toasting your granola, you know how you toast it. Okay, you've sent it out for testing. It never has salmonella in it, right? You've never had a recall, nobody's ever gotten sick. But you do some, you know, like you do some searching and you're trying to figure out whether or not you cook to kill salmonella. And you would have landed on the salmonella control and low moisture foods document that came out from like both UC Davis and uh, the Grocery Manufacturers Association and figured out that you have to toast the granola pretty darn high in order to be sure that you've killed salmonella. And that pretty darn high really produces an over-toasted product, almost burned, and is not something that your consumer is going to like because they've known and loved your granola the way that it is, right? So FSMA and the preventive controls rule actually gave you a out. Um, They gave you a way to take a look at your supply chain and figure out whether or not your supply chain has a preventive control where they're killing the salmonella. So if you take products that are salmonella free, all right, and you put them in an environment where you're, let's all make sure we're cleaning correctly and cleaning ourselves correctly and not making chicken salad in the granola room, okay, Um, where you know you're doing everything basically correctly. You're following GMPs. So that was, you know, episode two, right? (laughs) Um, And you're preventing cross-contamination. So the the salmonella is not going to come from your, your kitchen, right? Well, if you're taking clean ingredients, you're assembling them in a clean manner, and then you're packaging and labeling and then getting them out of there, you really shouldn't be introducing salmonella into the process. And so the FDA says, well, great. Well, then you can put in what we call a supply chain preventive control, You can document that your suppliers are sending you products that are free from salmonella, okay? And we do that by looking at their food safety plans, okay? And so we decided that this was a product that had butter and oatmeal and cinnamon and nuts. So you go back to the people who sell you your butter, okay? And in butter, I'll tell you, we worry about... Um, Shiga toxin E. coli because it comes from animals and salmonella and you realize you use because everybody uses pasteurized butter. Okay, there's never been a history of an outbreak from (laughs) pasteurized butter. Okay, um, and you buy it from a reputable source. Basically, what you have to do is you have to go back to that reputable source and say, I need a copy of your food safety plan. And then you have to read it and make sure it makes sense. Or I need a copy of your latest food safety audit, where you passed uh, and you fixed the problems that they found, okay? That's essentially what your supply chain control would be for your butter. All right, now let's think about oats. So oats can be a little more complicated, and um, it's going to require more conversation with your oat manufacturers, okay? Are they controlling for salmonella in their oats? If not, why not? And then what are you going to do about it? Because oats are, I mean, well, not commonly a source of salmonella. There is a worry there. But if they tell you that there is no worry about salmonella in oats, then don't worry about it, okay? Don't write problems into your food safety plan um, if you don't have to. If you don't have a good reason to think that um, oats are a cause of salmonella, and they may or they may not be. It kind of depends on where you're um, uh, where you're buying your oats from. Okay, talk to them about their food safety. Talk to them about how they're processing their oats. I mean, you know, oat is a grain, and it doesn't magically come out of the like come off the stalk and become those little oat flakes that you put in your um, that you put in your granola magically. Like there's a process. That process may very well kill Salmonella. Okay. And then finally, there's the nuts of all the, well, we have the cinnamon. Okay. If you're buying conventional cinnamon, it's probably irradiated and that definitely kills the salmonella. I'm a big believer in irradiated spices because of the salmonella risk. And then finally, um, if we are looking at, um, the, Oh my God! I, looked, I just totally blanked. They're doing construction outside my window, and I just kind of blanked. Um, but we look at the nuts of everything that you use. Nuts are your highest risk process. It is illegal to sell nuts in America that haven't been um, that haven't been treated for what we call a uh, four to five log reduction in salmonella, okay? And so you need to get the food safety plan from your nut processor. If you are truly buying raw nuts, you need to stop because your process isn't killing nuts and you will have a salmonella recall, (laughs) okay? So you really, on your nuts, your nuts is your highest risk product, okay? And what we just did there is we did a basic risk analysis on your nuts, okay, and on all of your processes for what we worry about with them, right? So when we look at that, that's probably your most complicated supply issue, okay, is anything that you are getting in raw, okay, because by raw, again, we mean not treated, and when you don't treat things for something, well, you don't treat things for something, right? <laughs> okay, and then I just want to give a, um, a, a few moments over to cannabis and the cannabis industry and my cannabis listeners. We have a real problem with this in the cannabis uh, supply chain, because not only do you have to worry about microbes, physical hazards, and chemical hazards. I mean, how are the people you are buying from, how do you know that they're controlling for um, pesticides, rodenticides, and herbicides in their product. You know, we have good controls for that over in um, the conventional food world. You know, we can't, we, don't, we can't sell things, we don't buy things that aren't in some way in conformance with something called the produce rule. So uh, how, do you, how do you know that <laughs> the supplies of your bud and your leaf or your extracts or whatever is coming in free of physical, chemical, microbial, Hazards, And that's something really, really to think about because it's the rare cannabis company that I've talked to that is actually able to control for chemical hazards within their process. If your your leaves are coming in covered in pesticides, there's nothing you can do in your processing to take care of that. If they are coming in with salmonella and you're extracting them, that will take care of the salmonella, but it won't take care of herbicides, pesticides, and rodenticides. Okay, and so for conventional folks, when you are looking at doing raw produce, um, your supply chain uh, needs to have conformance. They need to, they need to be following in some way, shape, or form produce food safety, and that's normally the produce rule or USDA gap, good agricultural practices, okay? Okay. And so that's basically what you need to do for kind of all our major foods uh, and in order to create a, a great supply chain. Because, you know, as we say, garbage in, garbage out. Now, if you can't do that, let's think for a few moments about what your obstacles are around creating a safe and secure supply chain all right and around here at deargo food safety we look at obstacles through our through our strive paradigm are you are our folks are your employees are you safe trained respected invested in valued and empowered all right and we're going to take some of the hardest questions that we have you're getting in raw produce and you're making salads all right so let's take tomatoes as an example and you really have no idea if the tomatoes that you buy uh, from your mid-sized farmer, maybe that you have there um, because you're making you're making salads to sell to people at your at your local natural food store and you're using a local supply chain. Those are some of the hardest food safety conversations to have. So let's break that down and think about what you are, what you might be worried about in terms of actually having these conversations because you have to have conversations about food safety, you have to get food safety documentation, you have to read it and approve it. That is the, how to approve a supplier, okay? Those are the steps. It's four steps. If you are finding that you are not doing that, there are only a couple of ways that you are blocking yourself from doing that, Okay. So the first question, let's think about safe. All right, we break up safe into physically safe, financially safe, and emotionally safe. I'm guessing you're probably feeling physically safe enough to have a conversation with your supplier. Financially safe. Are you feeling financially safe enough to have a um, conversation with your supplier? If you press them on their food safety, are you worried that they're going to drop you as a customer? that's something really to think about. Okay. And I'd urge you to go back to episode one, where we talk about how we manage our minds. Okay. Around that process. Next, um, are you feeling emotionally safe? Are you afraid of your process? Or are you afraid that you're a small fish in a big pond and they're never going to listen to you? Again, you've got to manage your mind around that process. So respected. Do you, I mean, are you, respected enough within your organization that you can go out and have those conversations or is the ceo going to come in over your head and say no they're fine it don't worry about it i know they're good how much of that conversation is going through your head too all right has your management invested in you in knowing how to create a supply chain program um giving um giving you um the training to go and do that. So that's both the the T and the I. You know, we when we when we think about these sorts of things, it's um, they do kind of overlap each other. But you know, we hit all the we hit all the high points. Are they have they invested in you in a way that you can actually get this done? Do they give you the time and space to get it done? Do you have access to the people that you buy from? Like it's super hard to send an email if you don't know who to send an email to. Okay. Do they value you for your input into the process? You know, if you come back and you say, wow, these people are not making me feel good because they are not willing to talk to me about um, their last gap audit, whether they have it and whether they passed it, does your employer um, have the confidence in you that you can actually do that, okay? And so when you think about it from the strive paradigm, What are those obstacles? And then I want you to make a plan to overcome those obstacles. Either talk to people who you need to talk to or do the internal work on your mind and managing your mind so that you can get there. That's how you do supply chain approval, okay? Whether it's a supply chain preventive control and needs monitoring and corrective actions and all that sort of stuff or is somewhat less complicated and cumbersome than that the way we do it in meat and poultry houses, the way we do it in fish, and the way we do it in cannabis. That's what we do. Okay? We take a look at who we buy from. We talk to them, we get their documentation, and we look at it <laughs> and do and approve it or disapprove it, okay? And then only buy from those suppliers. Okay, and you can constrain yourself to only buy from those suppliers, because when you do that, one, you are saving time, money and effort because you're not reinventing the wheel with every supplier every single time you do this, or you are really, really reducing the risk because you're not bringing unknown supplies into your production facility. So that's what we've got for you today. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you liked this and liked what we are doing, we invite you to join us for the Strive Masterclass, where we're going to spend three hours on November 14th diving in to what it means on being safe, trained, respected, invested in, valued to create empowered employees. I am only going to be doing this once this quarter. It's amazing, amazing work. And if you'd like more information, send us an email at info at dirigofoodsafety.com Okay. Or you can sign up for our newsletter list by going to sfbdi.com and you'll be redirected to a page with a pop-up. Fill that pop-up out and you'll see all the information uh, about our Strive Masterclass. You'll get on our Friday emails. You know, I drop new podcasts on Fridays. We'd love to see you there. Thanks so much for tuning in and y'all have an amazing weekend. You've been listening to Dr. Michelle Fannin-Steele on the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute podcast. We hope you loved the show. For more information and show notes, please find us at sfbdi.com. Thanks for listening.